are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I was coming to the church on Friday afternoon, and I pulled into the west parking lot, and it was full, and there was a charter bus sitting in the drive here, and there were people everywhere, and it took me a minute to remember what was up, and then I realized it's it's primary camp. It's first through third grade kids leaving for camp. And so I got in my car and I walked over and I started giving kids high fives saying, I'm glad you're going to camp. You're going to love the week. And I started saying to parents, so are you going or are you just dropping off? And some parents were saying, no, I'm going. And some were saying, I'm definitely dropping off. I'm not going. <laughs> and so, so I just got to visit with them and I, and I came upstairs to my office and I was looking over my sermon a few minutes later and boy, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. We've been talking for the last few weeks about who we are. And we have said we are people who are passionate about helping people come to know Jesus. And we are passionate about becoming like Jesus. The reason these kids are going to camp is to become like Jesus. It's part of the process. We know they're going to have fun. We know they're not going to shower for a week. They're not going to brush their teeth regularly. But it's more than just having fun and not showering for a week. We know that it's all about them coming more like Christ. We've got a group of high school students who are in Texas this week on a missions trip. I agree. If you're going to send missionaries, send them to Texas, right? Send them to the Longhorns. Why are we sending a bunch of high school students to Texas to serve? And the reason is, is because Jesus was one who served. And we want our students to become like Jesus. And they're going to come home and they're going to say, man, it was so awesome to serve. They're beginning to live in the image with which they were created, like Christ. My wife Annette and I were talking the other day about our own personal journeys, which are very similar. And when we tried to really look back over our lives and think about our discipleship process, we both admitted to each other that most of that happened in the church. Now, our parents were very supportive and helpful and instructive. But much of what we talked about with our parents were the things that we learned while we were at church. Little kids in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, jumping on a church van and running off to church camp for the summer, going on missions trips as students and Wednesday night youth groups and classes and all those things that we did. I'm telling you, that's where discipleship happened for us. That's where people invested in our lives to help Annette and me become more like Jesus. And, and I just got to stop and say to you as moms and dads, if this church is one of the primary places where discipleship happens in the life of your child or student, then you have to make it a priority to get them here every week, every week, every week. It cannot become optional for your students. They've got to be here. It's where I was discipled. So this idea of helping one another become more like Christ. How important is that to you? 
I mean, just as a person who walks through the door on Sunday morning, attends Bethany First Church, you've come in, you've sat down, how important is it to you to become more like Jesus? Is it a priority in your life? Is it something you think about, something you work towards, something you pray about, something you ask God for grace for? How much does it matter to you whether or not you are becoming more or less like Christ? How much does this matter? There's a story in the New Testament about a guy whose name is Simon Peter. And he meets Jesus and immediately makes a decision to spend the rest of his life following Jesus. Now, what it means to Simon Peter and to Jesus to follow Jesus is something we've got to talk about, okay? So grab your Bible and open it with me to the book of Luke chapter 5. And let me share this very special story with you. I'm going to start with verse 1 and I'll read through verse 11, okay? So Jesus is becoming quite popular crowds are turning out to listen to him preach and teach. They've heard about his miracles. And he's in one of those situations where the crowd is a little larger maybe than he had planned for. And so he improvises. You ready? Here we go. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's also called the Sea of Galilee, by the way, okay? The people were crowding around him, listening to the Word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And so he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put a little out from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat, which was customary. The teacher would sit down and the people would stand. That's why I have a stool here today. No, I'm just teasing. But actually in the synagogue, that's what they would do. The teacher would sit, the people would stand, and so Jesus is sitting in the boat. The people are kind of on the shore listening. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I think it's kind of comical that this part-time carpenter, part-time wannabe rabbi is telling a skilled fisherman, I think this would be a good place to fish. Listen to Peter's response, okay, Simon's response. Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, okay? I mean, I'm telling you, we, me and the boys, we've been out here all night long fishing. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. So what does that mean? Left their boats? I think so. Left their fishing nets? I think that's what it means. You're not saying they left all those fish they just caught. I think that's what it means. And followed Jesus. So this is God's Word for us today. Amen? Amen. Because I've been sharing uh, with you what God has put in my heart these last uh, few months. Um, and I've been talking about becoming more like Jesus. I've got to tell you, there's, there's an inward battle within me. Uh, it's not been an easy road. Because if I feel like I'm going to lead this church and we are going to focus on becoming more like Christ, that, that I must live the life that I preach. But beyond that, the life that Jesus has called me to. And it seems like constantly I have this question in my head that says, would Jesus have said that? What you just said, Rick. Or would Jesus have the attitude that you have right now about that person? Or would Jesus have acted like you acted yesterday when you were with those people? Or would Jesus be thinking what you're thinking right now? I think it's always been the challenge for the church of Jesus Christ. I think over the years it's been the greatest criticism of the world of the church, and that is we're okay with your Jesus. We don't, we don't mind your Jesus at all. In fact, we like your Jesus. Even when I have conversations with people of the Islam faith, Muslims tell me, we believe Jesus was a prophet. We believe your Jesus was a good man. The problem we have, they say, is that the Christians in the world don't act very much like Jesus. And it's the greatest criticism the world has had of the church of Jesus Christ. We like your Jesus a lot. Your Jesus stands for great stuff. It amazes me in almost any religious conversation with people from many faiths. If I want to talk about Jesus, I don't run into too much kickback. Jesus was a good man, people tell me. It's just that you Christians don't act enough like Jesus would act. And so I wonder when people see me and when they interact with me and when they spend time with me, do they walk away saying what the man from Iran said about Marsha? Marsha, you have shown me love. Do they walk away saying Rick really imitates the Jesus he claims to follow? I think that's why it's important for us to talk about it. We uh, have a little lake in our backyard. It always amazes me when you're out in your backyard and you have neighbors across the lake just talking in common voice to one another. You can hear them. The water just carries like crazy. In fact, across the lake from us live Phil and Ann Showalter. And you would not believe what they talk about on their back porch at night. <laughs> And so when you understand that, you understand what Jesus is doing. The crowd is pressing in around Him. 
And so what he does is he decides to get in the boat that Simon has. And he says, would you push off a little bit from the shore? And he does. And he creates kind of an amphitheater. All the people are on the bank of the shore. And Jesus is in the boat. He's seated there. And the water just carries his voice right to the people. Kind of neat, huh? And he teaches them from there. So, you know, the Sea of Galilee. I, I, I thought maybe a map might help when you think about the New Testament in Jesus' day. And so you have... Judea on the southern part here in green and then Samaria in the red and then Galilee is the purple. And so you remember when people would go from Jerusalem maybe into Galilee, they would have to pass through Samaria and some refused to pass through Samaria because of a different culture, a different breed, a different mixed religion. But then you get to Galilee where Jesus was born. He was in Nazareth. I'm sorry, where Jesus' hometown was, where he was raised as a child not born. He was born in Bethlehem. But then you see the Sea of Galilee there, that little blue circle. And just to the north of it is a town called Bethsaida. And we think that's probably where Jesus was when he speaks to the disciples, to the people here, and he calls the disciples. You can take it down if you want. Bethsaida is where Simon Peter lived and his brother Andrew and James lived and John and Philip lived. And so five of the disciples that Jesus calls comes from this little fishing village. And we assume that they were near their little fishing village along that shore when Jesus walks up and he gets out into Peter's boat and he speaks to the people. And afterwards he says, why don't you let your nets down for a catch, Peter? Well, we fished all night, but because you say so, we'll do it. And so you heard the story a moment ago. The nets began to break when they began to pull them in because the catch was so big and they signaled for James and John, hey, we've got to have some help out here. We've got more than we can drag in. And so they get their boats over and they fill both boats full of fish and both boats begin to sink. And Simon Peter immediately does something that you and I probably would have done. He just drops to his knees because he knows he's standing in the presence of God. This is God's agent. And he says, please, just leave. Just go away. I'm a sinful man. It is dangerous for me to be in your presence. What do you, what do, you do with all of this, I think? We come into church on a Sunday morning, we open the Word of God and we read it, and we always have to ask the question, so what am I supposed to do with this? We have a situation where that we had an unexpected resignation, resignation of a children's pastor, Jen Vera, just a few months ago. And so we knew we had to replace her. Chris Holcomb got on the phone with a guy named Marcus LeBaron who lives out in Idaho, Nampa, Idaho. He has been a children's pastor at Nampa First Church for the last six years. Years. He has a wife whose name is Sarah. And God gave them four little boys. And then they adopted two little girls from China. And Chris said, Dave Mowry told me I should give you a call as we are looking for a children's pastor here at Bethany First Church. And Marcus LeBaron said, we'll pray about it. And so that's what they've been doing for really a few months here. We finally decided that we ought to bring them here to spend some time with them to see 
what they're like and to let them see what we're like and to let them experience Bethany. And so they did. They came and they spent a few days with all six kids. So what do you drive when you have six kids? They said a, a passenger van. It's just the best because they have friends that come along. And one day Chris says to Marcus, Marcus, I want to ask you a question. Why isn't the answer no? Why don't, why don't you just tell me no and hang up the phone? You've been there for 16 years. You've got six young children. Why, why isn't the answer no? Why don't you just say, no, we can't come to Bethany First Church. We won't come to Bethany First Church. I'm sorry, Chris. The answer is just no. And Marcus said, Chris, the reason I can't say no to you is because I believe that God is calling us to Bethany First Church. So if you say to Marcus, Marcus, where are you going to live? You know what his answer is? We don't know yet. Well, who are going to be your friends? Because you obviously have lots of friends after 16 years in one place. Well, we don't know who our friends are going to be. Well, how's it going to work for you at the church? How are you going to get along with the other pastors? And we don't know how that's going to work out. Well, why in the world are you picking up and moving all the way across the country to a place where you've never lived? Because we think God is calling us there. That's the only reason we would come. And so Jesus says to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. I want you to spend your life on something, Peter. I want you from now on to fish for men. This is what you're going to be about. And so the Bible says that they pulled their boats to the shore and they did just what Marcus and Sarah and the kids are doing. They left everything to follow Jesus. Because we believe this is where God is calling us to. We believe this is what God is asking us to do. So we're going. It's always interesting to me how that God calls some of us to different vocations and He leaves others in their vocations. I want you to go do this and fish, and I want you to fish right where you are. The important thing is that we fish for people and that we follow Jesus wherever He leads us. That's what matters. Annette and I got in our car last night, and uh, we drove over to Southern Nazarene University so I could take this picture. I couldn't find one online, and so I knew I could find the statue there. It's a statue of Jesus. It was done by Scott Stearman, who is such a gifted artist. And in this sculpture, he depicts Jesus with his arms out, and at the bottom of the picture are the words, Do as I have done. It comes from the Gospel of John, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he says, Okay, now I've set you an example. And you should do as I have done. So I want you to hear me say something this morning, okay? That is what it means to follow Jesus. Let me explain. If you were raised in the Middle Eastern part of the world, in the day of Jesus... Your school for education would have been at the synagogue. It was called Beth Safar. 
It's the equivalent of how we would think of elementary school. When you go to school, to best of far, you would learn the text, the Scripture. So here's what that consisted of. You would memorize it, which was very important because at your home you didn't have a copy of the Scripture. This is in the day before mass printing, and so everything was copied by hand. And so there was a copy of the Scripture at most of the synagogues, but you didn't have a copy in your home. So memorization was important. And so as a, as a young child with your education... As a Jewish child, that was your education. You were memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And you were writing the Torah. And you were learning to read the Torah. And you did that till maybe you were 12, 13 years old. That's what education looked like. And for many, that would be the conclusion of your education. At age maybe as young as 12 or 13. If you were a young girl... You would go home and you would prepare yourself to become a wife. You would learn the cooking and all of those kinds of things. And you'd probably be married at a very young age as a teenage girl. For the boys, they had an opportunity to continue in secondary school. And if you chose to do that, it consisted of going and setting to listen to the rabbis teach. And now they're beginning to talk about what the Scripture means and how you apply it to your life. And if you were gifted and you showed promise, it was acceptable for you to approach a rabbi. And you would say to the rabbi, May I follow you. Now the rabbi would think about it. At this point, you're maybe 14 or 15 years old. And if the rabbi said, yes, you may follow me, he was saying a lot. If he said no, you went back to the family trade. So if your dad was a fisherman, you learned to fish. If your dad was a carpenter, you learned to do carpentry. You learned the family trade and you went to work. And eventually you would get older and you would marry one of those girls a bit younger than you. That's the way life was. But if you were chosen, you were considered a Talmud, what we translate as disciple. So here's what a disciple would do. A disciple's deepest desire was to become like his rabbi. Don't misunderstand what it means to follow. It did not mean that I will follow you around and get you a drink of water when you need it. It did not mean that I will follow you around and and help you do some things. That's not what it meant. It did not mean I'm just going to follow you around and listen to you teach and listen to what you say. It meant I'm going to give the rest of my life to becoming like you. To be a Talmud was to be a person whose deepest desire was to become like the teacher, the rabbi. And so what the young man was really asking the rabbi was, do you think, after watching my life, that I could possibly have what it takes to become like you? Do you think, after watching me here in the secondary school, do you think I have what it takes to become like you? Now listen to me, okay? This is really, really, really good stuff. So Jesus comes onto the scene. 
and he changes the whole process completely. And he walks up to young men who did not get chosen, who did not get picked, who are overlooked by other rabbis who said, you don't have what it takes. Just go get a boat and do some fishing with your dad. He walks up to those men and he doesn't wait for them to say, can I follow you? Jesus says, follow me. Because I believe you have what it takes to become like me. I believe you can become like me. You follow me because I believe you can become like me. Do you remember in your lifetime when one day you heard Jesus say to you, follow me? Do you know what Jesus was really saying to you when Jesus said, follow me? He was saying, I believe you can become like me. Jesus has believed more in you than you've ever believed in yourself. Jesus has seen more potential in yourself than you've ever imagined that you have. When Jesus called you and said, follow me, he was really saying, I believe with everything in me that you can become like me. I love these words, and and they take on different meaning after you know this, but it's some of my favorite words of Jesus. Jesus says one day to his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. (laughs) You love that? You didn't choose me. You think you should, no way. I'm the one who chose you. I decided that you could become like me. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? What's it mean to imitate the life of Jesus? What's it mean to live like Jesus lived? To love like Jesus loved, to serve like Jesus served, to give like Jesus gave, to pray like Jesus prayed, to worship like Jesus word, to share forgiveness like Jesus shared forgiveness. What does that mean? So we've been in quite a process over these last several months. And if you grabbed a worship folder when you came in, if you mind taking it out and looking at it with me just for a minute. And if you just open it up. On the bottom right hand side. It just talks about what we value. So, so we've just said, you know, when it comes down to it, we, we really want, we really want really to become like Jesus and we really want to help people come to know Jesus. But, but if you think about what we value, it, it's just straight from the life of Jesus. We value being with God because Jesus valued being with God. He went to worship. He spent time privately in prayer. In the scriptures, this was a value that Jesus had. He valued being with other believers. He invested years in his disciples. I mean, these people went with him everywhere they went because they were trying to become like Jesus. This was a value that Jesus had. This was the way he lived his life. Being with believers was really important to him. Looking at those people around him and saying, how can I help you become more like me? That was his priority. Here's what's interesting about Jesus. He also valued being with people who didn't love God. I mean, he kept hanging out with sinners and he was heavily criticized for it. But that was a value that Jesus had. Jesus said, I'm going to hang out with people who are sinners. That's important to me. He said it like this once. He said, seriously? The sick are the ones who need the doctor. That's why I hang out with people who are sinners. And he valued living generously. 
He served, he served, he served. I'm washing your feet. I'm giving you an example. If you want to be like me, you've got to wash feet. You've got to serve. If you want to be like me, you have to give of yourself. You give of your resources. And so, in my mind, it just translates into practices. Because I believe with everything in me that God uses practices to shape me. The things that I I physically do, I believe God uses those practices to shape my life to help me to become like Christ. And so I believe when I come to church here on Sunday morning and I worship with you and we open the Word together, I believe that through this experience of doing this together corporately, I believe that God shapes my life. I believe that God helps transform me into the image of Christ as I worship with you. I believe when I get up in the morning and I go in my little office at home and I sit down in that chair and I read the Word of God and I pray, I believe that God uses that private time of worship to shape my life. I'm telling you, He wears me out in there in the mornings. What were you thinking? I know, I know. I believe that when I get in a smaller group of people and I get honest with others about my walk with God in a small group or a class or something like that, when I'm doing life with other people and I'm letting you in and I'm getting in your life and we're taking responsibilities for each other's discipleship, I believe that through that practice, God shapes my life to transform me into the image of His Son, Jesus. I even believe when I give that God uses that. When I write a check and I put it in the envelope and I stick it in the mail, I believe that God uses that to make me a less greedy person. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have come home from a mission trip saying, Pastor Rick, God did more in my life in those two weeks than God has done in my heart in two years. I mean, God changed me. I believe when we practice and we serve that God shapes our lives through that practice. I believe when we share our faith with others and we are the love of Jesus to somebody else, I believe God uses that experience to shape my life to become more like Jesus. And I've given you this date, I know, but I want you to hear me clearly this morning when I say you cannot miss service on Sep. September the 11th of this year. You have to put it in your phone now. You've got to write it on your on your worship folder, write it on your husband's palm if you don't have anything to write on. I mean, you have got to be here on September the 11th because I want to begin a journey with you. I think a lot of us are saying, I, I want to be more like Jesus. How? And I want to begin a journey with you that 40 days as a church, we will just journey together. You say, I don't have all the answers. I don't have them all either. Let's figure them out together, okay? Let's walk together for 40 days and let's seek to become like Christ. And that Sunday morning, I'm going to ask you to make some commitments. You just can't miss. If you've got something going on, you just got to cancel it. I mean, if you're supposed to be out of town, you've got to change those plans. You can't miss that Sunday. You've got to be here, and here's what else you've got to do. You've got to get everybody here that you can get here on that day. I want you to start making a list today of people that I want to make sure that I have in church with me on September the 11th for sure. People who just need to come back to God. People who have just kind of wandered away a bit. People who have just kind of let things get out. People who don't know Jesus. People who need Jesus in their lives. People who are hurting. 
You just got to get everybody here that day that you can. It's going to be one of the greatest days in the history of our church, I'm telling you. You don't want to miss it. And that day we're going to get honest with each other and look each other in the eye. We're going to make some commitments to each other and to God. And we're going to journey together for 40 days. And we're going to seek to become like Jesus. When you think about these disciples, they did not become like Jesus just because they walked away with Him. For three years they followed Him everywhere they, He went. They spent all of their time with Him. How much do you want to become like Jesus? How important is this to you? How much does this matter to you? I'm wanting you to join me. All right, I'm going to say it because most everybody's thinking it, okay? So here's what I'm going to say. This feels unattainable to me. Amen? Rick Harvey, like Jesus Christ? I don't think so. I don't see that happening. I know who I am. I know what I'm like. I've lived with me for 54 years. It seems unattainable. But then I look at the same person, Simon Peter. And I watch the times that he just flat out blew it. (laughs) I mean, just messed it up so bad. How, How could you mess up that bad, Simon? And I still look at how God transformed him and how God used him. Okay? And here's what he comes with. Humility and confession. (laughs) Please go away from me because I know what I am, God. Simon Peter was not confused about who he was. He knew his weaknesses. He wasn't saying, I'm going to come and help out because you obviously need me. No, he was saying, I'm coming because I need you. I need you really bad. And this is who I am. But here I come. And and then he just responded with obedience. You want me to throw my net out? I may think it's nuts, but I'm going to throw my net out. Whatever you ask me to do, God, I'm going to try to do. And I think when we come to Jesus like that, humbly, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. But if you really believe I can become like you, then I'm coming. And, and to the best of my ability, you give me grace, I will obey as well as I can obey. But God, it's going to take a lot of grace. And he's got a lot of grace to give. Shelby, why don't you come and do this real quick for me? I... I grew up in this little church and we sung some great songs growing up there and and many of those songs helped shape how I believe and think about God. This is one of the songs that we used to sing in that little church I attended as a kid and Shelby is going to sing for you. I want you to listen to the words of the song and just tell me if this is your heart's desire.
So God is speaking to me this morning through his word, and it may be that he's speaking to you. Um, it may be that you want to pray, and if so, I want to give you that opportunity to do that this morning. Also realize that sometimes you come to church on Sunday morning and the sermon is maybe not exactly about where you're living and what's going on in your life this week. And I feel like that once in a while it's good to give an opportunity to come and pray about wherever you are in your life, a challenge that you're facing, somebody that you love that is very sick, maybe your own physical condition, maybe something going on in your family system that concerns you a great deal. If you want to be prayed for for healing this morning, there'll be pastors down here at the altar and they would be glad to anoint you with oil and pray for you. Also, we talk a lot about helping people come to know Jesus. That's what I want to do. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you can come and know him. He said to a guy whose name is Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he was talking about this new birth. I'm talking about radical transformation. I'm talking about making you a new person. And so if this morning you need Jesus to change your heart, forgive you of your sin, I would invite you to come and pray this morning. And you can get the attention of a pastor if you want someone to pray with you. 
maybe that you want to pray for a family member. You can do that this morning. So why don't we stand and let's sing this song together and make it our prayer. And as we pray, if you want to come and kneel here, you're welcome to do so. Let me leave you with these good words today. Now may the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.